Awesome. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you this morning. Yeah, you can go on ahead and clap your hands. Amen. I love that. <laughs> it's so good to be with you all in the house of the Lord this morning. Hey, if you're visiting us for the very first time, uh, we want to extend a huge welcome to you. You are so welcome here. No my hide my Thank you for choosing me to share your Sunday with us. Uh, we're in our third, as Pastor Steve mentioned in the video, we're in our third week of our sermon series, Little Big Life. And we've looked at how the early church in Acts chapter 2 devoted themselves to doing some things that we would probably look at today and think, boring, you know, give us the big stuff already. Oftentimes, we want to see the extravagant stuff. We want to see the really big things. We're constantly looking for the, for the great things, the big moments in, in order to make a change and make a difference in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. But don't forget that the little things done consistently can also have a big impact on our lives and faith. The little disciplines of reading the Bible daily, praying daily, fellowship, stewardship, and worship, all of these things can also make the biggest difference in our lives. Just like a small key in a door, it's often the little thing that unlocks the big things. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at fellowship. Our text is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 uh, to 46. I'm reading from the New International Version. If you've got your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, you can go on ahead and take it out. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let us pray. God, the unfolding of your word gives light, it gives understanding even to the simple. And so this morning, I pray, God, that your word would shine bright even in the deepest, most hidden parts of who we are. And as our hearts are laid bare before you, oh God, I pray that you would teach us by your word, that you would guide us by your word, that you would encourage us by your word, and that it would be to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless the reading of his word this morning. In recent years, there's been such an emphasis on the importance of community and fellowship. COVID revealed just how much we desire community. It revealed how much we long for fellowship. It was a big deal to not be able to gather together. It was a big deal to not be able to come together as a community. Not only that, but community seems to be the much-needed corrective to this tendency that we have toward an individualistic approach in our Christian walk. And so it begs the question, what exactly is community or fellowship? Is there even a biblical basis for our use of these words in church today? Because the truth is, for some, fellowship might mean having coffee with someone. To others, fellowship is all about singing songs together. To others, fellowship is about uh, being involved in the life of the church and serving on the dream team. Some will even say that fellowship is actually just a massive potluck dinner or lunch that we come and, you know, eat together. What on earth do we mean when we say fellowship? When we say, join us for, for fellowship today, what are we saying? What exactly do we mean by that word fellowship? And to answer that question, 
we need to look at, the, at how the Bible uses the term fellowship. And so this morning, our message is going to look a little bit like this. First, I'm going to look at what the Bible says about fellowship and how it's used. And then we're going to look at some of the implications of what biblical fellowship means for us today. The word fellowship in the New Testament is the Greek word koinonia. Turn to the person next to you and say koinonia. <laughs> yeah, give it a go. <laughs> koinonia. <laughs> the very first mention of that word koinonia or fellowship in the New Testament is actually found in Acts chapter 2 in our text this morning, where Luke, the apostle, uh, Luke is giving an account of the beginning of the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost. One of the disciples of Jesus, Peter, has just preached this incredible sermon, and about 3,000 people have just been added to the faith. They've just made this decision for Jesus. And so Luke says of them, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and to prayer. And as you read on throughout the New Testament, as you keep seeing this word koinonia, you'll find that it has multiple different grammatical forms. And so this word koinonia is translated several different ways in the New Testament. And what you'll find is this word koinonia cannot be narrowed down to just one particular definition. The word is rich in meaning and has multiple different facets. It's too hard to try to just boil it down to just one Thing, But this morning, we're going to look at three of the most common uses of this word in the New Testament. Firstly, koinonia means your share of something or participation. Fellowship is this idea of participation. We are sharing in. We're partaking of what others have given or are sharing. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship, koinonia, with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The idea is that God calls us to participate, to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. When we come into relationship, into fellowship, koinonia, with Christ, it is speaking of our participation. That means that God has called us to be participants, to be partakers of Christ. We're partakers of His life as members of his body. This is the exact same thing that Paul was talking about when he says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation, koinonia, in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is communicating his utmost desire to know deeper intimacy with Christ. He is communicating his deepest desire to experience the totality of koinonia with Christ. And he's well aware that to experience the fullness of koinonia with Christ is to expect to experience, to participate in his death also. That's deeply profound. This part right here trips up so many people because we think that to koinonia, to participate with Christ, is to pick and choose what part of his life we want to partake of. We, we, we can't come into koinonia with Christ and expect to participate only in his glory. That's wishful thinking. To koinonia is to participate in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his glorification. So to koinonia is to participate in the totality of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. 
dare I speak on this topic because I've only been married five minutes. But this week, I realized that being married is actually the best example of what it looks like to koinonia, to share in or to participate. In being married to Haley, I cannot choose which parts of her life I'm married to and which parts I'm not. The same, the same, the same goes, the same goes the other way. <laughs> the same goes the other way. Whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Calm. <laughs> the, the same goes the other way. Haley can't choose which parts of my life she is married to and which parts she's decided not to be married to. She can't just choose to be married to my good looks. No. Because... <laughs> I didn't think that was... <laughs> she can't just choose to be married to my good looks because the truth is she's going to get some ugly me too. She can't just choose to be married to the to my singing and my musicianship. Nope, because the truth is she's gonna get some wayward tunes too. She can't just choose to be married to the put together me. Nope, because she's gonna get some broken me too. Now I can choose to hide the ugly, hide some waywardness, hide some brokenness, but ultimately when they reveal themselves, Haley will still participate and share in my ugly and in my waywardness and in my brokenness, we can't just choose the areas of each other's lives that we want to be married to. It's not a thing. In much the same way, to koinonia is to choose to share in and to plunge deep into participation in the life of another. To koinonia is to share in the hurt, to share in the pain, but also to share in the victories, to share in the battles, to share in the forgiveness, to share in the accomplishments of another. Turn to the person next to you and say, sorry, mate, you're going to get the real me. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we also read in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, koinonia, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, this is speaking of participation. When we come into koinonia with the Holy Spirit, it means that we participate in the work that Holy Spirit is doing in and through us. Philippians 2.1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing, koinonia, in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, koinonia in this passage is speaking of something that we all share, something that we all have in common, and this common thing in the early church shared is the exact same thing that we share in the body of Christ today. Our relationship with God is the thing that we share in common. And so when you say koinonia, you're saying that we are on the same page. You're saying that we're on the same team. We're sharing something in common, and that's our relationship with God. And so we see that one of the most common uses of the word koinonia is in the sense of participation or sharing something in common. The second use, uh, most common use is koinonia means intimacy, united together. It means to bond. 1 John 1 verse 3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship koinonia with us. 
and our fellowship, koinonia, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In his letter to the people of God, Apostle John was letting them know that because of their koinonia, their fellowship, their intimacy, their unity, their bond with God, there's been things that the apostles would have seen and would have heard. And so their hope in proclaiming these things to the people of God was that they too could have koinonia, fellowship, intimacy, and unity with God. Koinonia, therefore, is speaking of intimacy and a bond. First John 1 verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship, koinonia, with Him, God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. In other words, the Apostle John is saying, people of God, if we claim to have koinonia, intimacy, fellowship, and unity with God, then it should be evident and demonstrated in the way that we live our lives. He's saying to the people of God that to live life, live a life of intimacy with God, is to live a life that reflects this truth. Furthermore, we see a similar use of koinonia in Galatians. Galatians 2, 9, James, Kephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, koinonia, when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In biblical times, in extending your right hand to another, a handshake or clasping of the right hand, it signified trust, it signified acceptance and agreement. In other words, to shake one's hand was a way of sealing the deal. And so the apostle names a number of people who extended the right hand of fellowship, the right hand of koinonia. They were prepared to be united together with the apostle Paul for the sake of the gospel. And so we see that koinonia means intimacy. It means to be united together. It speaks of a bond. Third and finally, koinonia means contribution or partnership or a joint effort. Romans 15, 26 says, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution, koinonia, for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. The people of God in the cities of Macedonia and Achaia were happy to koinonia, to contribute in order to help those in the body of Christ who were poor. Hebrews 13, 16 also says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, koinonia, share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The author of Hebrew also uses this word koinonia to refer to the idea of sharing with others. He's speaking about the people of God sharing their possessions with others. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4 says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in koinonia, the service to the Lord's people. The apostle here in the text is talking about sharing or partnership for the furtherance of the gospel. And so koinonia is also this idea of contribution. It's this idea of partnership. It's this idea of joint effort. And what I want to see, what I want you to see today, church, is that fellowship cannot be narrowed down to just one particular thing. The truth is fellowship, koinonia, it means communion. It means participation. It means sharing a common life. It means partnership. It's all of those things. And if you're anything like me, you're probably listening to this message and you're thinking, oh, then we've got this unlocked. Easy. This is easy. Koinonia is easy then. Participation is easy. Sharing a common life is easy. Partnership is easy. Having copies together is easy. Giving to those in need is easy. Koinonia is easy. But you see, the challenge of biblical koinonia 
is not how we do koinonia. The challenge comes when you realize that actually the thread that ties together all these seemingly diverse elements and descriptions of koinonia is our mutual belonging to one another. Now, this is where koinonia and fellowship gets all up in our business and all up in our face. This is where koinonia starts to get challenging. You see, the root word of koinonia is koinos, and koinos means common. It means shared. It means public. It's this idea that says what I have is not just mine no more. Koinos means to renounce ownership of something in order to help others, be it spiritual gifting, be it material possessions, be it encouragement, be it practical assistance. And now that right there is just something else. As I was preparing for this message, I realized that the reason that this was challenging was not because I didn't know how to do fellowship. It was challenging because I felt like I was relinquishing control and ownership of some of the things that I worked hard for. If I can ask Daniel to join me. If we're really honest, it's all good to do koinonia with people who you can trust. It's all good to do koinonia with people who work as hard as you do. It's all good to do koinonia with people who have the same upbringing as you. It's all good to do koinonia with people who, who you perceive have made it. If they're family, of course, it's easy to do koinonia. But it hits differently when you realize that to engage in koinonia is to give of yourself. And to give of yourself is to give of your time, to give of your focus, to give of your energy, to give of your resources, to give of your possessions, to give of your personal space sometimes, and to give all of those things to people who might turn around and do you wrong in the end. It's a risk to choose to engage in koinonia. But at the heart of koinonia, at the heart of fellowship, is this biblical truth that says, in Christ, we though many form one body, and here it is, each member belongs to all others. Yeah. To every single person who calls themselves a believer in Jesus Christ, we are part of one body. We belong to one another. So can you imagine what that means in terms of koinonia? It means that we give of ourselves to each other. It means that every single one of us is at service of the other. If you're rejoicing, koinonia means that I'm rejoicing with you. Yeah. If you're weeping, koinonia means that I'm weeping with you. Yeah. If you're in need, koinonia means that I'm there to help you. Yeah. If you're needing encouragement, koinonia means that I'm there to encourage you. Yeah. If you're needing a place to stay, koinonia means I'm opening my home to you. Yeah. If you're in need of food this week, koinonia means I'm opening up my fridge and my pantry to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty radical for 2023. That's far too much to expect of me in the middle of economic downfall in this country. That's, that's placing far too much pressure on, on those of us who barely have enough to go around in our own homes. That's, that's too much to ask of those of us who've worked hard to get to where we are today. Koinonia fellowship, that's just too hard. And it is, because the truth is, no one likes to give up control and give up ownership of that which we worked hard for, that which we might need as well. 
You see, this is why you can't have your identity or your confidence and your security all wrapped up in the stuff that you've got. Because you either struggle to be generous with it towards others or you feel like you don't know who you are anymore when you are asked to give it away. But when you grasp the simple fact that to be in koinonia with God ultimately means that you are in koinonia with others, man, that's absolutely liberating. Because suddenly, koinonia is no longer just some long list of Christian duties that you now have to juggle among all the other pressures of life. Koinonia is no longer just a bunch of diverse, unrelated activities that we do. These different and practical expressions of koinonia is no longer forced or switched on and switched off when we want. But rather, these expressions and demonstrations of koinonia become the response that just oozes out of us in each situation and relationship that we encounter. And so I want to speak to two groups of people this morning. If you're here today and you're saying, I want to engage in koinonia. I want to engage in biblical fellowship. I want to koinonia with others to reflect. I want my koinonia with others to reflect my koinonia with God. But I don't know where to start. Where do I start? If that's you, I want to say to you, start with a conversation. Start small. Start by introducing yourself to someone you've never spoken to in church before. And then work your way towards getting into the cafe in between services. Or you can start by joining a small group, (laughs) getting around others who are on the same faith journey as you are. Or you can even start by simply saying hello to three different people that you've not seen before. Regardless of where you start, just start. Start small, start somewhere. And you may say to me, but what if I get rejected? What if I'm too afraid? How do I know that I can trust these so-called Christian people? The truth is you don't know. But where there's an absence of trust, there will be no koinonia. Where there is an absence of willingness, there will be no koinonia. Where there is an absence of stepping out in faith, there will be no koinonia. And so the decision we must make is whether or not we are prepared to build that trust, step out in faith, and become willing. My prayer is that you would choose to just simply start somewhere. Secondly, if you're here today and you're saying, yes, I totally understand what you're saying, but I'm sorry, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can give of myself and devote to that kind of fellowship like they did in the early church. Let me encourage you. Whenever you find yourself struggling in your koinonia, your fellowship with others, go back to your koinonia with God. Go to the Word. Recall to memory your koinonia with God. Remind yourself of God's goodness and His faithfulness to extend even an invitation to you so that you could come into koinonia, come into fellowship with Him by sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross. If there is anybody who knows the abundance of shared fellowship, koinonia, it's Jesus. So go back to your koinonia with God. Philippians 2, 3, 11. Here's what it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you struggle in your koinonia with others, go back to your koinonia with God, because where there is koinonia with God, it will always naturally express itself in koinonia with others. You see, we were created in the image of a God who has always known the abundance of koinonia. And so because of your koinonia with God, we just can't help but come into koinonia with others. And what a time of rejoicing it will be to experience the joy of true community and understand why those first New Testament believers devoted themselves to the fellowship. My prayer is that when the world looks at this church, Elam Christian Center Manurio, they see God's reflection on earth as it is in heaven simply because we come into koinonia, fellowship with one another. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, perhaps you're here today and you're saying, well, I'm in relationship with people. I'm in relationship. I'm in fellowship with people. But why do I still feel like there is something missing? Why do I still feel lonely? You see, so many people think that if they can have so many friends, if they can find their soulmate, if they can hold it down in their friendships and relationships, then maybe their emotional tank will be filled to the brim forever. The problem is human relationships will never be able to fill a hole that God built into your soul that only a relationship with him can fill. Nothing else can fill that need because God created us to be with him. And I want to extend the invitation to you this morning to invite Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. And so if that's you today, you need to know that God loves you. The God who created this entire world, this entire universe, he created you. He created you to know him. He created you to come into loving fellowship with him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. That thing is called sin. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. Sin is doing things our own way. But also the Bible says that the wages of sin, the consequence of sin is death. But you see, it didn't stop there, my friend, because God in his grace sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we didn't have to pay that consequence or that penalty of sin. And so, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I would do for our sin. The Bible says that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so that's what we ought to do. Turn away from sin, repent, turn away from sin, turn our backs on sin, and turn to Jesus. Put our trust in Jesus. Put our hope in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Put our faith in Jesus. Because whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want to give Jesus my heart. I want him to, make, to be the Lord of my life. I want him to be my savior. I want you to repeat this short prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and you rose again. I choose to invite you into my heart. I want to trust you. I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friend, if you